Hello and welcome to episode 78 of the Thinking LSAT podcast in Los Angeles. I'm Nathan Fox with me in Washington, D.C., Ben Olson. Ben, how you been? Doing good. Thanks. Anything new in your world? Not really. Uh, just working through the class that just started. It's been going well. It's fun. Someone last night did say that he started listening to the podcast and he considers himself sort of a connoisseur of podcasts and said that we did a good job. So Nice. Yeah. I was like, oh, it's nice to hear. Yeah. That's about that's about it. <laughs> yeah, always nice to get some uh, positive feedback from the listeners. So thanks for that. Today on the show, we have uh, it's going to be a little bit of a shorter episode than you guys are probably used to, and that's because Ben was late today. And <laughs> no, well, he was, but I have yeah. a, I have a hard out today, so we're going to do a little bit of a shorter episode. And uh, you know what? Don't complain, people, because we've been doing more episodes than. Uh, we usually do. We're going to do letters from listeners and probably won't have any time to do any logical reasoning questions today. So it's going to be just uh, just letters. That sound about right, Ben? Yeah, sounds good. Okay, cool. This first one says, what is a diversity statement and should I submit one? Because the only documents I've seen requested on school websites are personal statement, addendum, and resume. Doesn't the Credential Assembly Service indicate your diversity profile for you? That's that. Why don't you handle that one? Yeah, so the diversity statement is more complicated than just, uh, or it's it's an opportunity to write much more than just what your ethnicity is or whatnot. It depends on your personal background. So... That could be uh, a religious background that gives you a unique perspective. It could be some sort of family background. Uh, maybe you immigrated to the United States and have something interesting to say about that. I think what the schools are looking for is something that is unique to you, if there is such a thing, and how that might contribute to the class discussion on legal topics. And so... Although a diversity statement is not required, and maybe that's why you haven't seen it on the school websites, a lot of people can write them who maybe don't think they can because they think it's something just as simple as, oh, I'm, this is my ethnicity, which, and it's, it's much more than that. Yeah, that sounds fine. Um, last time Anne Levine was in my class in San Francisco, she actually was talking about diversity statements and brought up the story of a you know, white Jewish girl who wrote uh, what Anne thought was a very compelling personal statement, even though whites and women and people of a Jewish heritage are not in any sense underrepresented. But I can't even remember the details, but there was some sort of a story where she just wasn't your typical um, you know, privileged kind of a girl, and she was able to write about some of the discrimination that she actually faced. And, and because she didn't come from the typical like prep school kind of background that you might have expected, she was able to write a diversity statement, even though she was not, you know, some underrepresented minority. Yeah. Now, when you were talking about that, you said her personal statement, but I guess... I mean, diver wrote sorry, diversity statement. Yeah. Okay. So she so she wrote some personal statement about something, and then she also wrote this other statement about her experience. Right. Yep. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of different ways to do it. 
I would caution people against using it as a second personal statement. It's not supposed to be a second personal statement. You know, I think you need to respect the time of the people on the committees. I think you also don't want to be repeating yourself if you already said it in the personal statement. I don't think you need to say it again in the diversity statement. But uh, if you're going to write your personal statement about some other topic, then you could totally write about any kind of diverse perspectives that you think you're, you know, if you can make a credible case for, hey, I'm going to be bringing something different to the law school classroom because of whatever your background is. I think that's appropriate for a diversity statement. Yeah. Cool. All right. So let's just hammer through these. The next one here is actually, this is actually a note that I wrote to myself when I was drunk because I, I had been talking to a friend about the LSAT, which I tell you how boring my life is. I talk to friends about the LSAT when I'm drinking. <laughs> what do they ask you? Do you just bring it up? Oh no, I just start lecturing them about the, about the law school admission test. <laughs> no, I don't know. This was a, a former uh, LSAT student who's, ah, who's okay, interested okay. in it. But Some mutual interest. Yeah. yeah. I just wanted to point out a thing about question types because I noticed that people are really misunderstanding this one particular question type. And it's just when, when the question, if the question says uh, the argument proceeds by, mm-hmm. what type of a question is that, Ben? That's a reasoning question. Right. Strategy uh, of argumentation, right? Or method mm-hmm. of reasoning question. Yep. And the misunderstanding, I guess I had never noticed this misunderstanding before, and that's why I made a note of it, is that some people will read that the argument proceeds by, and they'll see proceeds, and then they think that means, oh, okay, so where is the argument going next? Yeah. And so I just wanted to make this point here that this, when it says the argument proceeds by... What it's asking you to do there is to describe the reasoning that already happened. And it is absolutely 100% not asking you to think about where the argument is proceeding to. Yep. Um, I don't know. Anything? Do we have anything more to say about that? Or uh, That's just a note that I felt like, because, boy, if you're, if you're misreading the question that way, you're going to miss it every time, right? Yeah, for sure. No, I would say that a lot of people get mixed up by this this language proceeds by. And I mean, I think you already said it, but just to clarify, because you're describing what happened in the argument, you do absolutely need to know what the main conclusion is. You do need to know what the evidence is. And then you just need to think about, um, okay, so how did this person try to prove her conclusion? That's it. And did she try to eliminate um, alternative explanations? Did she try to use some sort of conditional reasoning or whatever? You just need to identify those two things, premises and conclusion, and then describe in your own words before you go into the answer choices what she seems to be doing with that evidence to get to that conclusion. That's it. Yeah. I would also just say that I don't think the correct answer has to fully capture 100% of everything that happened in the statement. Sure. Because it's it's really just a variant on a must be true type of question, right? They're mm-hmm. they're looking for you to identify something that happened in the argument, no matter how small. So yeah. all you have to do is find an answer where you are certain that the speaker did this thing at some mm-hmm. point during the argument. Yes, they did bring up a competing hypothesis or whatever, right? And so even though that 
brought up an alternative explanation of a phenomenon, something like that. Mm-hmm. That's not the whole, that doesn't capture the whole statement. But if that did happen somewhere in the argument, then yeah. that's just, that's 100% has to be the answer for that question. Yeah. Yep. They are never, do they ever ask you to go the next step? I mean, not I guess, in this type of question. Yeah. I mean, no. <laughs> the argument proceeds by, is not you're they're not looking for you to make any sort of predictions about where the argument should go mm-hmm. instead it's just talk about what already happened in the argument yeah okay cool here we have a letter from a listener drew okay says hi nate and ben i'm a longtime listener and i've been studying for about 14 weeks for the lsat i plan on taking it in february with a goal of testing in the 170s i've gotten a score of 171 in practice but i'm averaging in the high 160s and i totally buy into your advice on taking practice sections not worrying about time and being as accurate as possible great so sounds like drew is in a really good spot yep My accuracy has definitely improved, and I tend to miss about two questions in each logical reasoning section, but I still struggle to finish the last three to four questions. I feel that I'm stuck at my current pace. The same issues pop up in reading comp where I'm very accurate, but lose out on the last five or so questions. Outside of practicing and reviewing, which I intend to keep doing, do you have any tips on what I should do during my preparation? Then it goes on with a couple different questions. Maybe, do you have anything to say so far? Yeah, I think this is something we were talking about a little bit a few episodes ago, but when Drew is getting questions wrong, I'd ask him to go back and figure out why exactly he got it wrong. Was he? Did he not read the passage closely enough? Did he not understand something but kind of pressed forward? The other thing I'd be wondering is, does he is he internalizing the lessons that he's getting from each question that he gets wrong? So, for example, if if a question takes him some time, and let's say it's an unusually difficult main conclusion question, those are usually easy, but sometimes they can be really hard. Did he miss a word because he didn't know like the phrase "after all" indicates a premise, and would have would that have sped things up if he had known that? Um, I'm not saying that's the end all be all, but sometimes knowing how to get to the answer more than one way can speed you up. And so I wonder if he's gleaning everything from each question that he's getting wrong as much as he could. Yeah. And to kind of follow on to that point, um, I'm more worried about the two questions that Drew is missing in each logical reasoning section than I am about the three to four that Drew is not getting to. Mm-hmm. Students tend to think that, oh, I, you know, I did 22 questions and I only missed two of them. My accuracy is awesome. You know, I need to worry about speed. Yeah. And I, I would say, no, I, I think the exact opposite of that. I, I think your problem is those two that you missed. Mm-hmm. Those two that you missed indicate that there's something you don't understand and you just shouldn't, you, you really shouldn't be missing that many. You know, some people get perfect on the logical reasoning, right? Or perfect on the ones they attempt. Yeah. And if you're not perfect on the ones you're attempting, then that's also why you're going slowly. Mm -hmm. People don't understand that. But 
like Ben's saying, you need five different ways to get to the correct answer. Well, those two that you've missed, you didn't even have one way to get to the correct answer on that yeah. one, right? Or you were yep. missing whatever the key way was, you were missing it. Mm-hmm. You didn't get there for whatever reason. And so I would just encourage Drew here to double down on accuracy, just not worry about the speed. Mm-hmm. Because it's it's also, I think it's far easier to get those two right, to slow down and just get those two right, mm-hmm. instead of trying to finish two more questions. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking, and it's also possible that the reason why Drew is missing those two is that he's thinking about the speed more than he actually should. Yeah. You know, it's possible that Drew should be doing one less question, mm-hmm. but getting the two that he got wrong, getting those right instead. Yeah. My guess is same thing on the reading comprehension. He doesn't give an exact like how many questions he's missing on reading comp, but he's calling himself very accurate. My guess would be he's missing a couple mm-hmm. and then thinking, oh, you know, I'm, I don't have to worry about accuracy anymore. But I think accuracy is really, really what you should, almost everybody should be focusing exclusively on accuracy. And uh, I think you got to just let go of the time and let let the timing thing happen as a result of being so good at finding the correct answer. Yeah. I feel like uh, when someone is scoring as high as Drew is, he's probably getting questions wrong because uh, he doesn't understand exactly what was said in some sentence and he's not taking the time to figure it out because I don't think the logical principles in general – are lost on him, right? Like if you say, oh, this is saying this and this is saying that, oh, if that's what it's saying, well, then the problem is this. It's just that he's he's letting a sort of an abstract sentence or something get the best of him. Yeah, and then he's thinking, well, boy, I, you know, I, I, I'm, my pace has been a problem. I need to get to those last three to four questions, so I don't have the time to, to unlock that that question, that sentence that I didn't quite understand, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, oh, I can't afford to take that time. And I don't know, we talk about this every single episode, right? It's just, you can't afford not to take the time mm-hmm. to unlock that. Cause otherwise you're just going to end up down in the answer choices without really any idea what you're looking for. And that's why you're slow. Cause you, you didn't really understand it as deeply as you could have. Yeah. Okay. So Drew continues and says, um, I find I tend to get hung up on necessary assumption questions and in general overthink them. Uh, What do you think about that? Uh, I'm not sure. I wonder uh, what exactly he means by overthinking them. Maybe he's trying to predict an answer and coming up with an answer that's not the one that they thought of because there are many possible necessary assumptions. And then since he doesn't find what he's looking for, he's feeling like he overthought them. I'm, I'm not sure exactly what he means by that. Yeah, I never get it when people say I'm overthinking it. I don't... I. It's almost always the case that people are underthinking it when they say they're overthinking it, you know, mm-hmm. or they like just didn't understand it. Yeah. And then they say I'm overthinking it. And well, probably not. You, you probably just didn't quite deeply get it. Um, if you're hung up on necessary assumption questions, I mean, they are harder than sufficient assumption questions. Generally, mm-hmm. they're less easy to predict. 
Ben, you just said that there are, uh, you know, uh, can be more than one, in fact, infinite, probably necessary assumptions on every, mm-hmm. every argument, right? There's a million weakeners and each one of those weakeners is associated with, you could phrase each one of those devastating weakeners as a necessary assumption of the argument. Mm-hmm. So I think, yeah, I would, I would probably drill, Drew says, should I drill question types timed i would not drill question types timed no i would not um if you want to do a whole bunch of necessary assumption questions that's great but i wouldn't be timing myself if i'm doing that i would just be trying to deeply understand yeah i mean i think if you just did my logical reasoning encyclopedia probably has 40 necessary assumption questions in it you know 30 or 40 necessary assumption questions in it yeah. And I would think if you did a whole bunch of those or a whole bunch of necessary assumption questions from any other resource that's out there, uh, that will help you to to understand that particular question type. Drew then also says, would drilling a single 8 minute 45 second reading comprehension passage be beneficial? What do you Oof, think about that? No. Yeah, I mean, it just depends on the passage, how long you should have. Yeah, I, I hate it. <laughs> I think it's a terrible idea. Yeah, some some you, you do legitimately need 10, maybe even 11 minutes, whereas others, uh, it's not unreasonable to see someone finish it in six or seven. So yeah. I think it's just like the games. You have to be a little flexible on the time and not worry about it as much. Just yeah. do the best you can. Hey, I wanted to take a second and talk about the uh, the necessary assumptions uh, or necessary assumption questions and, sure. and talk a little bit about why necessary assumption questions have multiple possible answers, whereas yeah. sufficient assumption questions usually don't. Really quick recap, an assumption is an unstated premise. In other words, it's a piece of evidence that was left out of the argument. And so the premises as they stand do not prove the conclusion. So one way to visually think about this is you have like a hole you have a gap in the reasoning. There's a gap in the evidence. There's not enough evidence to prove the conclusion as it stands right now. And a necessary assumption question is looking for anything that needs to be true. And so if you imagine that gap is like a, an empty glass of water <laughs> and you're, you're, if, the, if you were to fill up that entire cup of water, then you would fill in all the gaps in the reasoning. Uh, But a necessary assumption question is only asking you for a drop of water. That's all you, whatever is necessary. If if something is needed to get to that conclusion, then great. But that doesn't mean that it has to get you to that conclusion. It doesn't have to be sufficient. So there are multiple drops that it would take to fill up that cup of water And so there are multiple things that are necessary. There are multiple things that you have to do, for example, to apply to law school. But just because you do one of them doesn't necessarily mean now you can apply, right? Like you have to take the LSAT, but you also have to go to undergrad and all these things. So a necessary assumption question is just looking for any drop that has to go in that cup, whereas a sufficient assumption is everything that's necessary or more. And so... The test writers have to give you an answer that fills up that entire cup or does a little bit more, but there's only one or two ways to do that. And so 
necessary assumptions have a lot of potential answers because they're just like the bare minimum, whereas sufficient assumption questions uh, tend to have a very narrow set of possible answers because they have to address every hole in the argument or they won't be sufficient. Okay, yeah. I mean, sufficient assumption questions are about making the argument win. What's your evidence? What's your conclusion? How do I get from your evidence to your conclusion and make it so that the conclusion has been proven, you know, 100%? Yep. And they're very predictable. Sufficient assumption questions are are very predictable. There's almost always just one way, maybe two ways to build that bridge. And you can predict it. You can you could be able to tell them exactly what the answer is a mile away. Mm-hmm. Necessary assumption questions are far harder to predict because the correct answers are often related to unforeseen problems with the argument, potential weakeners. So I think cause and effect arguments are very useful here for thinking about the nature of a necessary assumption. If I was going to say, you know, it's uh, it's always sunny in Los Angeles because the you know latitude is conducive to getting a lot of sunshine something like that mm-hmm. right if that's my that's my conclusion is that hey the reason why the weather's so great in LA is because of the latitude the latitude is causing the weather in San- in Los Angeles to be great it it's bizarre for students they don't understand but a necessary component of that argument is that other things aren't causing the weather in Los Angeles, you know, aren't aren't the exclusive cause of the weather in Los Angeles being beautiful. Mm-hmm. So something like aliens from the planet Venus just love Los Angeles and they shoot down their um, mind rays onto Los Angeles and that's what makes it, that's the only thing that makes the weather in Los Angeles beautiful. Mm-hmm. That would be a devastating weakener for that argument because I was trying to conclude that the latitude is what makes LA beautiful. Yeah. But if someone else was able to prove that aliens from Venus were shooting LA with, you know, their mind beams and that's what was making LA beautiful, that would hurt the argument a lot. Therefore, we can say that the opposite of that statement is a necessary assumption of the argument. It's necessary that these aliens from Venus are not shooting mind beams down on Los Angeles and 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 causing it to be beautiful. Mm-hmm. Because if they were, then it would make my latitude hypothesis look stupid. Yeah. And so for every potential weakener that you can think of for an argument, for every possible problem with the argument, you could phrase that... It, as a necessary assumption. Hey, you have assumed necessarily. And it's weird though, because no one was ever thinking about aliens from Venus. Mm-hmm. Right. But yeah. I think, but it on, in LSAT logic terms, you can say, Oh no, you have necessarily assumed that aliens from Venus are not shooting Los Angeles with mind beams because if they were, then this argument would fail. Yeah couple different ways there of understanding necessary assumption questions. I mean, and, and there's probably more than that. Yeah, well, I know my, my glass of water analogy is a little funny, but if you think of that as the, the gap in the reasoning, I think you can sort of predict that. You can say, hey, wait a sec, this argument failed to address other possible reasons that LA is so warm or has nice weather, but 
what's hard to predict is what those reasons are. So it's like right. you see the cup and it's like, oh, aliens is one possible explanation that could fit in there. And there are other things that could go in there as well. And so you have to be a little bit open-minded as you go into the answer choices as you think you did make su- I, you did make a prediction. You said, oops, this argument failed to point out that there could be other possible causes. Or at least, I mean, it failed to rule out those other possible causes. Now I have to go into the answers and look for things that might be those possible causes. Yeah. And I like that you have to be open-minded when you look at the answer choices on a necessary assumption question. Absolutely. I'm very narrow-minded on a sufficient assumption question. I know exactly what the answer is before I look at those answer choices. Yeah. But on a necessary assumption question, I'm frequently surprised where I, I read, you know, the answer choice and I go, huh, you know, I didn't think about that, but that had better be true because if it's not true, then this argument's going to fail. Yeah. Last, last point on this is <clears throat> that simply because you're looking for the bare minimum, something that absolutely must be true. The correct answers tend to use weak language, but I think most people get that flipped around and they think, well, necessary sounds like a strong word. Right. So I think I need a strong answer. I need something necessary. Isn't that strong? No, if something is really, really needed, then it tends to be very weak. (laughs) Right. Sufficient assumption questions are like a super strengthener, right? The best possible strengthener is a sufficient assumption of the argument. So we love having the strongest possible answer on a sufficient assumption question, if Mm -hmm. all else is equal, right? I mean, it has to get you where you're trying to go. Mm -hmm. But if it's on target, then there's no such thing as it being too strong because we're trying to hit a home run. We want to make this argument win. Whereas necessary assumption questions are much more related to must be true questions Mm -hmm. that we we don't want to overstate the assumption that was made. Yeah. Now, there can be outside information, right? There can be unforeseen aliens from Venus. Mm-hmm. If all else is equal, we would want a weakly stated answer choice because when you negate that, it becomes a, a, a powerful uh, statement that would make you lose. It becomes a powerful weakener. Yeah. All right. I wanted to just go back to this you know, specific question about should uh, Drew drill single eight-minute, 45-second reading comprehension passages? Hmm. Ben said, absolutely not. I say, absolutely not. And I almost want to go a step further because I think it indicates that Drew has missed part of our message, which is, you know, the fact that you're even thinking about doing that is means that you're thinking too much about your pacing. So wait, just, just to clarify, you're not saying, you don't have any problem with him doing an RC passage by itself outside the context of a 35 minute section. No, you, you shouldn't be timing yourself on individual reading comprehension passages. Yeah. You should be doing 35-minute sections. You should be practicing 35-minute sections. But when you're practicing 35-minute sections, it's not because you're trying to get to the end. Mm-hmm. You're practicing 35-minute sections because you're practicing ignoring the clock, essentially, and just getting them all right and being comfortable with the fact that you might not make it to the last few questions and that that doesn't matter as long as you get everything that you attempt correct. Now, one thing to clarify here is I wouldn't have a problem with Drew having a timer going while he did a single passage. I would just have it counting up. So at the end, he could be like, hmm, that took me 11 minutes or, you know, just to provide him with information. Would you be opposed to that? 
it's fine. I just think people weigh. We've talked about the time. I mean, we have we you and I have a bit of a fundamental disagreement about the time, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I would never ever look at it. I just don't think. I, I just don't give a shit how long it took. I want to mm-hmm. know if you got him right. Mm-hmm. If you got him right, that's great. Mm-hmm. But sure, if he wants to have a timer going up and you know get done and then look and see how long it took him, I suppose. I suppose that's fine. I, I just, I mean, I don't, I wouldn't encourage anyone to do that hmm. because I feel like it's just making you look at the time too much. And I just don't want people looking at the time. I, I want you to be thinking about accuracy and. It's the questions that you're missing that is your problem. Mm-hmm. It's always the questions that you're missing that is your problem. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm waiting to see the first student ever who never misses any questions and doesn't finish. That I, I've been doing this for 10 years now, and I've never seen a student who's like that. So I think it's, I just would double down on, hey, you got to get these right. Yeah. I mean, think about it. Like, he's trying to score 170 something. Mm-hmm. You don't score 170 something by missing questions. Yeah. The only reason I would say go ahead and have the timer going up is I look at it as just some more information. Yeah. You're a very data driven kind <laughs> of a person, right? I mean, yeah. you you keep track of everything and break everything down a million ways. And that's great. That's, that's totally fine. I, um, so sure. If he wants to do it that way, that's great. But we would agree that if he's ever like trying to fit it in under eight minutes and 45 seconds, now he's lost sight of what's actually important. Yes. hundred percent. Cause okay, we just, cool. we have no idea what that passage should be. No. And you wouldn't, yeah. you wouldn't know. I mean, even if someone else told you, you wouldn't know going into the passage on the actual test. Oh, this is an 11 minute passage or, or, or is... same thing with logic games, right? Yep. Some of the games are going to take you 12 minutes. Some of the games are going to take you four minutes, but you don't know which one's which. So there's no point in trying to shoehorn every single game into eight minutes and 45 seconds, yep. eight minutes and 45 seconds sucks for some games. It's awful. Eight minutes and 45 seconds is amazing for other games, Mm -hmm. but we don't know which one's which. So what's the point of even breaking it down that far? Yeah. Okay. Tell me about this uh, new subscription page that you created on our website, Ben. I just wanted a way to send people a link so that they could sign up for our email updates, right? Yep. And it's on our website, but it's like way down on the side. Okay. So I just said, hmm, let me create a page that that's the only thing on the page so that you can just send that link. And it's very obvious how you sign up to get our email updates. Cool. And maybe we could put that in the posts themselves, probably for the episodes, maybe or maybe Andrea will put it in like for one or two of the the new episodes to have the link right at the top of the site. But yeah, it's uh, thinkinglsat.com slash blog slash subscribe thinkinglsat.com slash blog slash subscribe. And that'll get you to uh, just an easy sign up form for our MailChimp newsletter that goes out uh, every time there's a new episode. So you'll just immediately get a notification if you want. Yeah. And maybe we start putting it on our episode posts along with, you know, we can insert like donation buttons throughout there. (laughs) (laughs) Just a whole, you know, and maybe some ads for like pillows and stuff. Perfect. Yeah. Okay, cool. Pillows, huh? <laughs> it's just what came to mind. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever makes money. Okay. <laughs> nice. All right. Uh, let's see. Let's hammer through another uh, email here. Yeah. 
Nathan and Ben, thank you both for your podcast and straightforward approach to the LSAT. Nathan, your Fox LSAT books were extremely helpful in my self-study. Ah, well, thank you very much. Those Wait, are all that, available say that. Where, on where Amazon. Say that? No, it, and it says also you're super good looking. Um, <laughs> I'm I just am, kidding. It did say that. That's a legit. <laughs> I am working through my applications and am curious if an addendum is appropriate to include to explain my low GPA. I received a 3.0 in English literature with a business minor from a state school in 2011. And that is the 3.0 is in the 25th percentile for the schools in the Northwest uh, that this listener is thinking of applying to. My LSAT score falls either above either the 50th or 75th percentiles. So I guess I am considered a splitter. Sure, if you want to have a name for it. High LSAT, low GPA, splitter. During undergrad, I honestly did not care much about my classes or grades. I worked more than 30 hours a week as a server and spent nearly all of the remainder of my free time in student government internships and coaching debate at the high school I attended. I did not spend my time going to class. I did increase my course load toward the end and completed 21 credits in my final semester. Luckily, I will have a letter of recommendation from one of my English professors who was also the faculty advisor for student government, so he can partly explain my commitment to extracurricular activities. In your opinion, does my situation warrant an addendum? Thanks, Ferris Bueller. Uh, what? An addendum saying what? I didn't like going to classes. Maybe focusing on the workload, although I'd probably just show that in the resume. So that they can draw their own conclusions and think that that Ferris Bueller was really busy. I I really like this letter. I I was happy that we we're gonna get to talk about this. I think I would write an addendum, but I would not say all of this shit that Ferris said. Yeah. Right. So I appreciate Ferris being honest with us. Mm-hmm. But uh, what's Ferris's actual name? Let's go ahead and put that in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Anonymous was a good, good plan here um, because you just don't want to ever say I didn't care much about classes or grades. Yeah. That, that, I mean, we get it. That's, I believe you, I didn't care about my classes or my grades either, mm-hmm. but that was not the message you want to send. Instead, focus on, I worked more than 30 hours a week as a server. So, you know, I was heavily involved in student government internships and coaching debate. I took 21 credits in my final semester. Uh, This is tough, though. I mean, talking about that stuff does help explain the lower grades. But at the same time, if I were reading this as an admissions officer, I'd kind of question Ferris's judgment. Like, why are you doing all these things and taking 21 credits, which is unusually high, given your workload? Wouldn't you just say, I mean, I would just say I had to work more than 30 hours a week to support myself. I would leave it at that. Yeah, totally. Because then it's like, oh, sorry, outside of your control, you're financially strapped and you're trying to make it work. Yeah, I, that is the thing to focus on, I think, is the working 30 hours a week. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think the commitment to student government and all that kind of stuff is, is cool. But yeah, I, I agree with you, Ben, that if you're like, well, I was so involved in student government that I got shitty grades. I mean, that, that does seem like, well, why did you make that choice? 
You didn't have to do that. But you did have to work more than 30 hours a week as a server, presumably. Because mm-hmm. otherwise, why were you doing that? Mm-hmm. So, okay, good. So we agree. Focus on that. Write the addendum. Yeah. Keep it very short. It needs to be like two sentences. Yeah, so I think the addendum should focus on the work. And then the resume maybe could include all this stuff. And someone, you know, could see, oh, this person was pretty busy. But not necessarily put that all together as part of an excuse for the grades. Just the work is yeah. the excuse for the grades. And if your English professor is going to say Ferris has the horsepower to, you know, like I have no doubt that Ferris will be an excellent law student because, you know, Ferris was so committed and so hardworking. I would think in the addendum, you might want to make it clear that you're not planning to work 30 hours a week during law school. I mean, yeah. you're not even legally allowed to. You're one L a year, right? Yeah, you commit to less than 20 hours a week, I think, right? Yeah. So how about just saying, you know, this is what happened during undergrad, I don't mm-hmm. feel that my transcripts reflect my actual academic ability because I was working 30 hours a week to support myself. Yeah. And that's about it. Yeah. Anything else? No. Well, next one. Huge fan of the podcast. I listen to it on the way to work and really enjoy the insight. Wondering if you would be able to help with some questions related to my particular situation. I attended a community college for two years and then transferred to a university for another two. My GPA at the community college was 3.53, and then my university GPA was 3.68. Okay, I like it so far. We got an increasing grade trend, right? We can always point that out in an addendum. That's great. Yeah. However, before I took college seriously, I had a particularly bad semester in which I racked up uh, three Fs and a D. Nice. You know, and again, do not say before I took college seriously. You can say that to us, but don't say that on your application. Don't say that on your addendum. Yeah. He goes on and he says, this was mostly due to problems I was having at home. Okay. That you can talk about. Mm -hmm. Right. And I don't know how, do you think he needs to go too much into specifics or can he just say, Hey, I had some personal issues during this one semester Maybe you could say I'd, I, you know, I, I would be happy to share this if I don't know. Mm. It really depends on what it was. Okay. You know, sometimes people. Uh, I'm sure you have this happen every now and then. People are you're planning to meet with someone, and they say, "Hey, I can't meet," and that would be fine as it is. But then sometimes they explain it, and you're like, "Wait a sec, you can't meet because it's raining outside," like. That's a little weird, you know? And so I think it depends on what the problems were at home. If his if his mom, for example, got cancer and that required a lot of his time and effort and distracted him from school, I think that would be a very legit thing to include and maybe explain. Uh, if it's something else or something he just doesn't want to talk about, then I would leave it vague. Yeah, and... And I, I mean, this is almost a perfect situation to write this addendum, I think. Mm-hmm. It's one really poor semester. Yep. I like it that it's Omar. He says he can use my name on the show. Why not? Um, it, no one's going to care. He says, uh, 
My official LSAC GPA is 3.18, but if I exclude this semester, my LSAC GPA would be 3.5. I think that is a very reasonable thing to put into the addendum. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very that's very lawyerly, right? You're making your you're making your case now. Mm-hmm. Stick to the numbers, the yeah. facts. Yeah. Um, when he says, I feel that this number is not a good representation of my ability, but rather the result of one bad semester. I think it's totally fine to say that. Especially since it was in the past, maybe emphasizing which semester it was and how early it was. He said it was in college. So I'm assuming it was not during his university years and all that's good, but just make it very clear and obvious. Yeah. So this, this seems like a great, a great opportunity because we have an increasing grade trend Mm-hmm. You know, we have a lower GPA at the community college and then a higher GPA at the university. So mm-hmm. it's like, not only am I going to a probably tougher school, but now I'm getting better grades. I had this one bad semester, which, you know, has now made my average GPA lower than what I'm capable of. Mm-hmm. And so I would invite the committee to consider, you know, my my later performance and exclude this one horrible semester, which was a result of personal problems. Yeah. problems at home yeah cool um so yeah that's a perfect opportunity for an addendum there for omar he says is this a situation that might be given special consideration or or will i be judged solely on my 3.18 it will definitely be given special consideration the one point the 3.18 will be your index number but after you get into the application pile they will definitely take this into account which is why you do want and need to highlight it in an addendum yeah yeah you have to i mean to be perfectly honest at some schools they're probably not even going to look that close because you're going to be just like out of contention because of the Mm 3.18 but i think every school will see it they just might not give a shit but some schools are certainly gonna give a shit Mm -hmm. they're gonna look at you and they're gonna think well we're, we're almost getting like a diamond in the rough here because their index number is going to make them look not as good as they actually are in real life Yep. because of these reasons. So yeah, I would 100% make that case. Last email from Alec. This is kind of a long one. Let's see. I'd like some short advice on each individual section if it's not too much of a bother. Well, all right, we'll see. Uh, logic games currently missing zero to three logical reasoning currently missing zero to three on each section reading comprehension currently missing three to eight well sorry one sec can we can can we actually talk about reading comp first sure because like when i see these numbers to me it strikes me that reading comp needs a lot of focus yeah yeah games you're already pretty awesome on logical reasoning you're okay on reading comprehension you're not great Okay, so reading comprehension, my worst section by far. Really, I find my two biggest problems here are my tendency to overthink things. Mm -hmm. Mm -mm. No, you're not overthinking anything. And getting snagged on a bad topic. Hmm. Mm. I can accurately cross off logical reasoning questions with barely even reading them. But I struggle a great deal with process of elimination in reading comprehension, and this often leads to the dreaded reading comprehension vice of thinking instead of taking directly more or less from the text. So that's what he means by overthinking, I guess, is reading too much into one part of the passage when the answer might clearly be in another. 
But okay, but then what you're doing is you're making shit up. Yeah, exactly. Okay. That's not good. Uh, To me, it sounds like he's not reading the passage carefully enough and therefore missing details. One thing that I find myself doing as I go through the passage is that I'm reading along and it will be making sense. I'm putting more effort in up front because I kind of feel like they throw us in the deep end. It's a new topic that I often don't know anything about. And so I might spend more time in that first sentence or two trying to really get my bearing straight. And then I start going and you start anticipating where the passage is going to go. And then I'll read a sentence maybe in the second paragraph or in the third paragraph. And I'll be like, wait, I th- that suggests that there's only two arguments, but I thought there were three or something like that. I mean, that's just an example, but something about a sentence will strike me as a little bit odd about given what I thought was said before. Mm-hmm. And right then and there, I'll look back and I'll find that sentence. You can kind of remember where it was uh, and maybe a little scanning, but I'll reread it and I'll be like, oh, and that clarification then helps me understand the passage even better. And then I pick up where I was having the confusion. Now everything makes sense and I keep going. I just don't think people kind of necessarily engage with the passage to the point where they they understand it. I mean, your goal is, it's not necessarily a linear thing. It's not like you just start at the top and you go to the end and it's done. You're going through and you're trying to understand what the text is saying and you're trying to understand it as best as you can so you don't have to go back. But sometimes I do and then everything starts to make even more sense. The goal here is to understand, even if that means you have to slow down, reread things, and maybe even sometimes go back. But I wonder if he's just not engaging with the passage enough to get his level of understanding up to the point where he remembers those those details and thus does not have to look to another part of the passage and then try to squeeze some sort of answer out of that part of the passage. Sometimes people are like justifying answer choice E to me. They're like, well, look at this, what this says in the third paragraph. That pretty much implies E. And then I'm like, yeah, but in the second paragraph, the, the author denied E. So that's not true. Yeah. So like you're forgetting that. Yeah. And you're forgetting that these questions are ultimately just a whole bunch of must be true questions. Mm-hmm. Right. It's not like you're picking the best one. I mean, there's usually one that has just been stated in the passage mm-hmm. or really strongly implied by the passage. And then there's usually four that are just like off off the the topic or, you know, something different or more than what the passage actually said. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm very nervous about this line, you know, the dreaded reading comprehension vice of thinking is it's like people have this myth about the LSAT that they're, that they're supposed to shut their brain off or something, or that it's like this highly technical thing. I I'm thinking if you're not getting them all right on the reading comprehension, it's because you're not actually comprehending, which seems to be what you're saying. I, I think so. And I think he's, if you, if you understand what you're reading, then it's easier, I think, to remember too what you've read. Like I, I definitely encounter people who are trying to justify answers. And I think what he's saying when he says overthink them is that they're trying to justify answers with some random sentence that really doesn't speak to it. And there's another sentence that does, and it either clearly justifies another answer or clearly says that the answer this person is considering is wrong. And as soon as you say, like, hey, look at line seven, they're like, oh, well, that's not right. 
And yeah. and so they were overthinking that answer by trying to support it through some convoluted means of combining other parts of the passage. And I so then I'm like, well, did you even remember that? And they're like, no, I didn't remember that. And I wonder if they didn't remember it because they didn't really internalize it as they were reading. Like they didn't really take it in and be like, oh yeah, that makes sense. They're just kind of like plowing through. Let me just get to this, this next part of the reading comprehension question. Um, it says, the second part that gives me problems is the passage topic itself. If it's poetry, for example, I'm going to have a hell of a time getting through it. This I attribute to the fact that I've never understood poetry fully, and the way I've been conditioned to view it is through the lens of a high school English teacher who is obsessed with reading between the lines. Trying to read between the lines on the LSAT is a death wish in some instances, but necessary in other instances. I find it most difficult to find the right balance with a bad topic. I accept that I'll likely not turn into a poetry savant overnight, but any tips to mitigate these two things or just help reading comprehension in general would be massively appreciated. Yeah, I don't... I have to sympathize with Alec in the sense that I, I, I find the humanities passages the most boring because I'm less interested in them, but that doesn't change... Uh, the process of extracting information from the passage. So I'm a little, yeah. I'm a little confused by. Well, other people hate the science topics, right? Yeah. And our advice on that is like, well, it's not actually science. It's just someone making a case about some scientific thing, but you're not presumed to have any knowledge of science. Mm -hmm. All the information is just right there in the passage. If there's some scientific phrase or some scientific concept. If it's important, they're going to define it. Yep. Well, same for poetry. And so, you know, because I'm like, yeah, I don't really like reading about poetry either. But they don't, it's not, they don't expect that you actually know anything about poetry. They just want you to be able to comprehend this argument. Just mm -hmm. follow the argument. What are they trying to prove? Mm -hmm. Where's their evidence? Where's their opinion? What are they trying to get you to believe? And so I, yeah, it, I don't think it's wrong to read between the lines, right? It's, it seems as if Alec is like, I'm supposed to shut off my brain when I'm doing reading comprehension. And that, that is exactly wrong. Yeah, one thing I would say is that if, if Alec, and this is true for anyone, if you're not as familiar with a particular topic that RC is talking about, and that happens in most cases, but if it's a topic that you're particularly not familiar with, that just might mean you need to reread sentences more often. Like you read a sentence, you're like, huh, what's going on here? Read it again. Okay, they're saying that these, these, this kind of poetry is not aesthetically appeasing to a certain group of people. Okay, now I get what you're saying. I don't really understand this poetry. I've never heard of it before, but people don't like it. And once you understand that, then you have enough information to answer the questions. So yeah. you might just need to reread more. I would think so. I think you just need to read more slowly, more carefully. You have to comprehend. That's just your only choice. Hey, uh, I have to apologize to the listeners. This is going to be a very uh, quick goodbye. Uh, I have to run to meet a student. Please email us, help at thinkinglsat.com, and we will throw you on the agenda for a future show. Um, thanks, Ben. Thanks, everybody. I got to run. All right. Thanks. See you. Okay. Bye.